Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. On today's episode of What Fuels You, I'm talking with Gina Cook, founder and president of Navigating Cancer. Gina has close to 30 years of healthcare experience with over 27 of those years working directly to help cancer patients. In 2008, she founded Navigating Cancer with a vision to leverage technology to improve patient care. They support over a million patients and thousands of cancer care providers nationwide to lower costs, improve patient satisfaction, and drive better outcomes. In addition to her company, Gina sits on several boards, including the NCCN Foundation and the WTIA. She's a wife, a mother, and a friend. Welcome, Gina. Thank you, Shauna. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. I'm super psyched to interview you. We're going to start with Rapid Fire, which you know because apparently you've listened to the podcast, which is so flattering. Yes, so I have. So thank you. Um, okay. So what was your favorite subject in school? Oh, that's a that's a hard one. Um, mm-hmm. I think... Um, I think like the language, language arts, sort of reading, mm-hmm. writing, history. I was thinking that just from your personality, I just had this weird gut feeling. But then I was like, maybe it's something like math and science because of, I don't no, know, being no, in the healthcare field. No, I was actually pretty good at math. And then I think in seventh grade, they skipped me a grade in math, which oh. was... Fancy. Which was really a bad move. I mean, math is like a language. You can't Yeah, you have skip. to layer. You have to layer. And yeah. I just, I, that was a really strange, as I think back, it was very strange. Yeah. Um, is there an app that you can't live without that you use every day? Um, I think the biggest app that I use um, is Life360 because I have two teenagers. <laughs> so, <laughs> to track the kids? Yes, to track the kids. How old were you when you first realized that you had leadership skills? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I think as a kid, um, I I just naturally um, did a lot of things that I think are kind of funny as I as I think back to it. Like I, um, you know, like bookathons and readathon. I mean, I was always knocking on my neighbor's door to give me money for something. Um, you know, I. You know, the I don't know if you remember, like, the Jerry's um, telethon, you know, for muscular dystrophy. Like, I I don't know. I was only 10, and I, um, I, you know, called in or mailed in for a carnival kit, and I threw a carnival in my neighborhood to raise money for Jerry's kids. So I just did kind of crazy things. Yeah, I love that. What's your favorite book you most often recommend for pleasure? That's a good question. Your I favorite have, book. I have my, my favorite startup books. Oh, what's his favorite startup books? Yeah, you? my favorite startup books, there's two. So um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, mm-hmm. so um, by Ben Horowitz, mm-hmm. um, and Shoe Dog mm-hmm. by Phil Knight. By Phil Knight. Yeah, those are two, because I think that, you know, when I started Navigating Cancer, you know, you'd go to these meetups, you'd go talk to other CEOs, and everybody was talking about how 
you know, they're killing it. Like their business was doing so incredibly well. They're just posturing. I know, but you didn't know that at the time. And, you know, I mean, I think those books were really freeing for me because I realized, you know, starting a company is really hard. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. And that those books were really empowering for me because I just... You didn't feel alone. I didn't feel, yeah, I felt like, you know what, it's supposed to be hard. And when you know it's supposed to be hard, then you say, let's just go get go after it. Yeah. But when you don't know it's supposed to be hard and it's hard, you think, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Something's wrong with me. Yeah. Okay. This one's an easy one. Mountains or beach? Beach. Do you ski? Yes. But beach. I yes. like beach too. If you could have lunch with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Did you see my post on yes, Facebook? Yes, I did. I, did. I, I have gotten so, more so love out of that post. Um, for those listeners who are not on Facebook with me, I was on the plane with her coming from Lisbon to Washington, D.C. and sat next to her for nine hours and took a picture and posted it. And it was nuts. People I haven't talked to in like 25 years are texting me. I know. Freaking out. I know. It's yeah, really she's, amazing. she's pretty amazing. She's little and I wanted to like bubble wrap her. I know. She's yeah. amazing. And yeah. what she's done to inspire like a new generation oh, of yeah. young women. Well, this high school kid came up to her at the end of the flight and like thanked her for all that she's done and like wanted to hug her. And I was happy that the high school kid knew who she was and that my kids know who she is. Yeah. I mean, she's a celebrity. Yeah, she, she really is a celebrity. Is. RBG's in the house. I mean, it's amazing. I know. I know. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. I um, know your sister, as you know. Yes. And um, is she your only sibling? No, I have another sister who's 12 years younger than I am. And so are you the oldest? I'm the oldest, yep. And um, you were raised where? I was raised in a suburb of Tacoma. What was your upbringing like? Because Deanna's also a kind of mover and shaker. And I don't know your other sister, but I'm assuming you've got kind of three rock stars. Um, I don't know. Our upper upbringing was pretty normal, sort of middle class. Um, uh, my parents, you know, ran a small business. My, my mom worked. They both worked. They both worked. And did you go to private school or public school? Public school. Public school. And were you a good student? I was a good student, yes. And were you um, one of those people who had a purpose or you were just like um, a good student because you were hard on yourself? Uh, a good student because I was hard on myself. Like I, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Because I don't I think have... you're recovering. <laughs> we're not close <laughs> enough for me to say this to you, but I think you might be a perfectionist. I No, but I'm, I'm working on not being it. You know, like you just have to figure out what's good enough mm-hmm. and be okay with being good enough and figuring out when you're just going to really dig in and be amazing and when are you going to be just okay. So then you ended up going to UW. Yes. Um, was that kind of like everybody around here in Seattle goes to UW and there wasn't much thinking beyond that? Or was that your dream school? No, my dream school would have been like a very small liberal arts school on the East Coast. Like I wanted to get away. And um, my dad had a small business and the bank called his loan at that time. And you know, it was really, you know, what we could afford to do at the time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I was a very good student. I had nearly perfect grades. Um, and I wanted to explore the world and get away and mm-hmm. do something different. And uh, so, but the UW was my sort of, you know, the best choice with what we could afford to do at the time. With the circumstances. Yeah. And are you more like your mom or your dad? What are your parents like? Are they married? 
Um, so my dad's passed away. Okay, um, he passed away eight years ago of cancer. Um, and my mom, I, I think I'm a little bit of a combination of both. So my dad is, um, or my dad, um, is like his nickname was clean Jean. So, um, and he was just a really good, kind person that always did the right thing. And so my sisters and I talk a lot always about, what would dad do? You know, we really admire him a lot and really aspire to be more like him. Um, so I'd like to think that I have some of his traits because he really, you know, was a wonderful, wonderful person and just a really kind person that always wanted to do the right thing by people. And then my mom um, was, you know, just had a lot of grit and determination, really smart, Um uh, really kind of street smart. She understood people. Um, I grew up always, um, you know, one of the things I always said to my parents was I, I had this really um, strong sense of sort of social justice and what was fair. So I was always saying, um, that's not fair. That's not fair. And my mom was just always saying, you know what, Gina, life's not fair. Go be an attorney. Go make the world different. Go improve the world in some way. But she was just like, suck it up and just make it happen. Go mm -hmm. do it. You know, I got a lot from that. It's interesting how many people describe their moms as the kind of grit, determination. It, I just find it interesting that, you know, maybe what what would they have been doing if they were given the platform and the opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Was your so your mom worked but she worked with your dad in the family business and she, what kind of business was yeah, it? Yeah, so she worked um she was mortgage broker, mortgage um in a bank. So at that time you didn't, you know, you did mortgages out of a bank. So that's what she did for years and years. And then when my sister, my youngest sister was born, you know, when I was 12, then she went to work with my dad. And mm. so my dad owned a um, used car dealership. Uh, in Tacoma. It's still there. Gene Panky Motors. And, um, you know, was a small businessman. And so what role do you think birth order has played in your personality and your identity, being the oldest of two other women? Yeah, that's a good question. My younger sister, she's a very strong personality, but she's also, you know, I think followed a lot of what I've done as well and watched and followed a mm -hmm. lot of, of things that I've done along the ways. I think she would say that as well, um, which is interesting because she has such a strong personality as well. So it'd be interesting to see what she would have done yeah. as the firstborn. So she seems she's, she seems like a firstborn personality to me for yeah. some reason. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's got that like yeah. kind of get up and go. So you went to UW and studied marketing. And how'd you choose marketing? You know, I wanted to get a job. So I yeah. went you know, business. I chose business. And I think I just more, you know, resonated, you know, being good at language and good at, you know, I just think I resonated with marketing. Mm -hmm. And so I got a marketing degree and then I went and said, okay, how am I going to get a job? And they said, you have to go into sales, right? You have to start in sales, go get an MBA, and then you can be in marketing. And I was like, oh, I got to go into sales. Like, I don't know if I'm a salesperson, but that's what I did. So that's what you did right out of school. Right out of so how did you go about getting your first job? What steps did you take? Um, I went to, I'd had a lot, I'd had jobs, you know, I'd worked and I'd had lots, lots of jobs. So I'd had experience. So that was good. Um, but I went on the campus recruiting and I just, you know, I just interviewed and that's where I got my first job. And at that time, what was interesting is I was looking at two different jobs. I wanted to sell either pharmaceuticals because I thought, hey, I'll talk to doctors and, you know, it'll be kind of technical and it'll be interesting and it's something important, you know, selling medicine, 
that that sounds important. But at the same but at the same time, I interviewed with GE, and at the time, you know, Jack Welsh was a CEO. He was really into leadership development. You know, he's sort of a famous CEO, and. I, you know, I interviewed with GE and they said, hey, you're going to make a lot more money and it's going to be a really interesting job. You know, you should do that. So that's what I did. I sold commercial industrial lighting. I moved to San Francisco. Um, so I worked with distributors to relamp, you know, the Bay Bridge and the Stanford Library. And uh, um, so it was very interesting. So right out of college, you moved from Seattle to San Francisco. I did. And how long did you stay there in San Francisco? Uh, six years. So I was in San Francisco for six years. So that was exactly my path. Yeah. I went straight from UW to San Francisco yeah. for six years. Then I went to New York and you came back to Seattle. Oh, uh, I went to Princeton, New Jersey. Oh, you went to we had Princeton, yeah. New Jersey. Yeah. And tell me about that experience. Um, so I, um, you know, worked for San, in San Francisco, went, you know, worked for GE for a bit, um, and then went into pharmaceuticals did a couple different jobs there and then got promoted to Princeton, New Jersey. So that's how I ended up in Princeton. And, you know, great experience, you know, being on the East Coast. I bought my first house there. So that was, you know, I was single and that was in my 20s and kind of scary, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life. Right. Um, and then uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe a year later, they called me up and said, hey, we have this. You're from Seattle, right? Um, we have this position in Seattle. Do you want to go to Seattle? And I was like, huh, it would be weird to say no to go back home. Yeah. So I said yes. Were and, you conflicted about it? Like, hey, I'm kind of just spreading my wings now and feeling really independent. Um, I can't remember what. I think I just was like, huh, it seems too good to be true. Like mm -hmm. they were going to reload me. They are going to help me sell my house and help yeah. me buy a new house. And it just yeah. seemed like. How can I pass this up? Yeah. Had you met your husband at that point yet? No. No, yeah. I hadn't met my husband. Yeah. Right. So you were very career-minded. Yes. And um, were you kind of a workaholic at that time? Yes. I think I still am. And so walk me through what the kind of reintegration into Seattle was like and um, when you decided to transition to become an entrepreneur. So, um, you know, I've always, um, I mean, Reintroduction to Seattle was pretty interesting because I was worried. Like I had been, I'd been away for six or seven years at, by this time, and I thought, well, am I going to get reconnected? But it was, you know, I had a lot of friends here, and so that was really pretty smooth transition. And it was really fun to get reconnected into Seattle. Um, I always had a job where I traveled a ton, so I've always been traveling. I've always been gone a lot from Seattle, um, and so I worked. Um, for, I met my husband at that time. You know, I started having kids. How did you meet him? Um, so I was on an airplane with um, sitting in the same row with a friend of my boyfriend's in San Francisco. And I ran into him. I was I, I think I was flying back to San Francisco because I although I'd been gone from San Francisco, I'd been there for six years. I had lots of friends. So I was you know, I spent a lot of weekends going back to San Francisco and I was going back and he, you know, we started talking and he said, you know, he's, I said, yeah, I just moved to Seattle. And he said, well, one of my best friends lives in Seattle. You should meet him. And so he gave he gave him he gave my number to him. He gave me his number and uh, I didn't call, but he called. And so we met, um, you know, at like nine o'clock for a drink on a Thursday night so we could get in and out yes, quickly if, of we, course. if it didn't work out. And yeah. um, and, you know, the rest is history. Oh, that's great. And he wasn't even probably thinking. He's just thinking a nice person needs to meet another. 
Yes. And he said... Is he taking credit now? Uh, I think he's taking credit. But what he told my husband at the time was, hey, you should meet Gina because she's from Seattle and she's going to have a lot of friends. Oh, so that more was like the, you're the anchor yes, to this, yes. this kid getting yes, anchored here. Yes. And did he describe you in any other way? Like, did he know what he was getting into marrying and, and getting serious with a hard driving woman? Um, I don't know. We've never really talked about it. So he um, is pretty interesting because he was raised by his mom. So his dad was uh, a fighter pilot, was in three wars and ended up being um, shot down in the Vietnam War. So he's missing in action when Dan was three. And so his mom raised him. So his mom raised like six amazing children. Dan's the youngest. And so he I don't think he ever really thought about that. I think he just, you know had this amazing, strong woman that raised him. And so yeah. that was the example he had. So I don't think he's ever. That's great. That's awesome. And so um, so you move back here, you meet your husband. And then when did you get the idea for Navigating Cancer? So um, I, you know, took increasing roles. So I moved back here. Um, worked for a company, a pharmaceutical company, took increasing roles. You know, they wanted me to, con- they wanted me to move back to New Jersey, right? They wanted me to do the, I, the next thing. And I'd met my husband and I started to have children and my family was here and I didn't want to leave. And so they sent me down to a company in San Francisco. Um, and I worked at this company in San Francisco as a little healthcare services company um, that was owned by the pharmaceutical company. And mm-hmm. so you were commuting? I was commuting. So I traveled. Yes. So you leave like a Monday morning, come back a Thursday night kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. With kids. With kids. How did you do that? Did you have a live-in nanny or did your husband stay home? We just did it. I mean, you know, you just don't think about it. You just do it. But who was caring for the kids? So we had a nanny, not a live-in nanny, but a a day nanny. Yeah. Wow. And Dan didn't travel, so that helped. Um, And he was really supportive. But it was... It was uh, it was difficult, you know, and then I took and then that company, we ended up spinning that company out of the pharmaceutical company. We became private equity owned. And then things got really crazy because um, we bought a company in Nashville. So I had an office in San Francisco. I had an office in Nashville. I ran a three and a half billion dollar P&L, you know, people reporting to me all across the country. And um, at that time, things got really crazy. And so. Um, you know, we didn't expect, you know, it to be that crazy, but it was. So Dan was at Microsoft at the time and he worked for this really amazing woman who had worked part-time and he asked her, hey, can I go part-time? And so he worked for a couple years part-time while I did that because it was really intense. And then we ended up selling that company And one of the things that we did when we were a private company was we had this technology embedded in physician offices all across the country in cancer. And we started looking at and researching, and I was kind of heading this up, is how do we we open that up and give patients access to their health information? How do we do something directly for patients? And so that's when I first became interested in that. It was 2005. We ended up selling the company in 2007. And so I just became an accidental entrepreneur. Like that idea was really interesting to me to be able to do something directly for patients. You know, um, for me, it was always about the patient. Early on in my career, I had the fortune, 
you know, I had some doctors and nurses that asked me to talk to their patients in support groups. And so I had that that early access, uh, access to mm-hmm. patients and I had into what the impact was for patients. And so to be able to do something directly for patients was the... Yeah. When you initially came up with the idea, what exact problem were you trying to solve? So because I was at this other company and we launched this technology, um, you know, it was a workflow technology within physician offices. Ultimately, the reason why the other company bought us was because of this technology, because we had this technology embedded in the workflow. It was very valuable. And so I knew that that was very valuable. And so the the concept was how do you use technology, you know, embed that into the workflow, improve give patients transparency of their information, give them the information they need so they can participate in their care, but help doctors take better care of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, healthcare is really behind from a technology perspective. You know, it's 10, 15 years behind other industries. And so that was the concept, like what we did in the features and functions, you know, grew and changed over time based on what providers were willing to do and the problems that they had. But that was the concept. And so who were you targeting as customers? What was the business model? So the business model was, you know, we started out by building a consumer service because we wanted to see what patients would do. We wanted to see what patient behaviors were. And so we started with the ability for patients to do, you know, come in on their own and manage their own health care and connect with Mm -hmm. other patients. So there was a community and they could connect with other patients and um, they could you know, keep track of all of their appointments and their health records. And we quickly realized that in order to have scale, in order to do this and make greater impact, you know, the the people that they trusted the most was their doctor. And so we wanted to figure out how we could help patients, but help doctors as well. So we Mm -hmm. became software as a service model for cancer programs across the United States who buy our service. We connect to their electronic health system health record systems. Um, and we become a workflow or data-driven workflow tool mm-hmm. for providers to take better care of patients. And we have this login for patients and caregivers and family members so that they can man- better manage their care. Got it. And so that was in 2008 when you started. And yes. how did you fund the company? Was this all self-funded? Did you have angel investors? So I was really lucky um, when I was, you know, working at this previous company, um, I took a vacation day and went and flew down to a venture capitalist with sort of a concept and idea. It was 2008, which was kind of crazy because it wasn't a great time. Um, but um, they gave us a little bit of seed money. So we The asked, very first person that you asked? The very first person that I asked. And who's that? Uh, Rustic Canyon Partners. Who, oh, yeah. I know Rustic yeah. Canyon. Yeah. So they are still involved. They gave us a little bit of seed money. I mean, it was enough to build a prototype. It was enough to go out and research the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then... And who who was with you along your, alongside you at that time? Um, so it was um, pretty much um, me. I had two people that really wanted to create a doctor directory that were working with me that really wanted to create a doctor directory. And, you know, we researched that opportunity and it wasn't an opportunity that I thought would make an impact in the marketplace that we wanted to improve the way um, patients were taken care of. And, you know, we had to engage the doctors. We didn't need to rate them. And Mm. so, and I felt like that was a feature, not a business at the time. And so, um, so, but it was mostly me. I was was the only one, you know, working on this Mm -hmm. full time. 
And so when did you eventually realize you wanted or needed a co-founder or uh, another person to help you? Yeah. So um, I, uh, when we got our Series A, so we did the seed funding um, and uh, Rustic Canyon, you know, said, hey, um, as we went for our Series A, you know, they were trying to figure out whether they wanted to do this or not. You know, they were, you know technology SaaS businesses. They didn't do anything in healthcare. Uh, the managing partner of the firm at the time was really a big supporter of Obama. And, you know, he was reading um, what Obama was saying about healthcare. And so I think at the end of the day, he came, he called me up, you know, when they decided they were going to do the Series A and said, Gina, you know, everything you're talking about is what Obama's talking about. Like, we're, I think we're going to do this. And so he said, you know, at the time he said, hey, you go find a, you know, you know, the, you know, the industry, you know, cancer, you know, the space, go find, you know, a technical person, a partner with you, go hire a technical partner and we'll close on the Series A. So that's when I met Michael Graff, who became the co-founder, and we've been really build, building the business together over the last 10 years. Wow. And so how many employees do you have today? Uh, I think close to 100 now. Wow. And so how um, have you gone about shaping the culture? And how was it then versus now? It's a different set of challenges and opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I think that when you're five people, you know, when you're a couple people, you're five or six people and you're trying to build a business, culture just sort of happens. Mm -hmm. Did um, you define it or it just was organic? It was in the early days, it was very organic. Like, how do you I mean, and we were, um, you know, a really small team trying to solve a really big problem. And so because you know everybody, you build a lot of trust with people. And so, you know, we had fun and we played board games to, you know, in the office and we went out for a beer and we did fun things together, but we were a really small team. And so we didn't really think about culture. We thought about how do we hire the smartest people that we can to solve this problem. Um, I think that when we were, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 people is when we said, hey, we really need to think about this. And so we brought somebody in that did a bunch of focus groups with our employees about what kind of culture did people want to work for. And we were really lucky because we have this incredible um, mission and, you know, we're doing something directly for cancer patients. And so people, I mean, that really resonates with people. People want to join and solve a problem such mm -hmm. as this. Do most of the people that work there feel deeply connected to cancer in some way? I think that just naturally people apply that have a deep connection, right? And so you have people that have deep connections, mm -hmm. um, but also cancer is pervasive. You know, yes. one in two, you know, in our lifetime, our, our risk is one in two of us will get cancer. We have a 50%, you know, chance of getting cancer and it's one in three in men. And so we've all been touched in some way. And so it's not important that somebody has a direct connection, but it's important that somebody cares about the problem, right? Of course. That, that they're passionate about the problem and they want us to work on this problem. And I think people don't come to the company unless they care and want to work on about this problem. Yeah, and, for sure. Versus some other problem. Yeah. And so how would you describe the culture today? You know, I think culture continues to evolve and change. And I think that, you know, when we were 25 people, we worked very hard at being very purposeful about what is the culture. Um, and, you know, we wanted people that really cared about this problem. We wanted people that really cared about our customers um, that wanted to do the right thing that were really good people, right? And I think that as we, you continue to grow, I you know, I hope those core fundamentals 
continue to stay um, and that we're, we continue to be as purposeful about what we're trying to build and the team we're trying to build because it is all about people. And how would you describe what it's like to work there for people that might want to work there that are listening? Um, I mean, you get to work on a really hard problem um, with a really great collaborative team, right? And so um, I, I like to think that there's not egos, that people are problem solvers. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I get excited about. And what are you like as a leader today? Uh, what words would your team use to describe you? I think people would describe me as kind of visionary, like I've been doing this so long that I can connect the dots, right? I can see I've been, you know, I've been in this space for nearly 30 years. And so I understand the problem from so many different places. Um, The other way they would probably describe me, although what we're doing is not easy, because I can see and connect the dots, I think it's easy. So I'm always trying to simplify things. And I'm always saying, you know, hey, this is super easy. Like, this is easy. We can do this. Like, yeah. uh, So you're optimistic. Um, I'm optimistic. And I deeply care about people. Like, I want to, I think the way you build a team is that you really understand people's strengths and weaknesses. You really understand what they're trying to achieve in their career. Mm-hmm. You really try to understand what makes them tick so that you can get the best. You can get the best out of them and they can have the best experience yeah. working at the company. So that's really important to me. I want people to come into the company and I want them to say this is one of their best experiences that they've ever had. That from a career perspective, yeah. from a team perspective, from a financial perspective, you know, it checked all the boxes. And what is your um, recruiting philosophy and process? I mean, the philosophy is just go hire the best people. Yeah. Some of the issues that I'm hearing from our clients, and thank you for your business because we get to work with yeah. with Navigating Cancer, but is, you know, some of the big companies that are coming into Seattle and making it really impossible to draw talent, especially tech talent, um, comp is just becoming a huge issue. And also titling keeps coming up. Are you guys able to distinguish yourselves because you really are changing the world in a way that you're like, that doesn't come up for us? Or does it come up for you also? Um, I think that people that come to Navigating Cancer are different. You know, I mean, if you're going to go work at Google or Navigating Cancer, those are such different experiences. And so we're not going to fight for somebody that says they think they want to go work for Google. Right. You're They're like, if money not... is your number one motivator, that then that answers yeah. our question. Yes. And so, you know, there's been times where somebody was deciding between Facebook or navigating cancer or Google versus navigating cancer. And I, you know, we're not going to fight that battle, you know, because that, those are two very, very different companies. But I don't think we've, I mean, but overall, we aren't losing. Mm-hmm. You know, people are coming and they're applying and they're interested. Our candidates always want to work there. We have no problem selling navigating yeah. cancer for yeah. sure. And so what lane are you kind of playing in today versus where you were and and um, where you're going? Yeah. So um, so I ran the company for the last 10 years as CEO and made, and so I was pretty much doing everything. And we were a small company at the time. Um, You know, we started the company probably earlier than the market was ready for us. Um, We had to, you know, there's a lot of things that we had to do to, and challenges um, to overcome to be where we are today. And so I did a little bit of everything at that point, you know, and I probably ran, you know, four or five different roles at the time. And, um, and my co-founder did the same thing. You know, he was head of product, head of engineering, you know, on the business side, you know, I ran all of commercial 
and marketing and, you know, a lot of, you know, I never had a CFO, for example. The business in 10 years never had a CFO. So I raised money without a CFO. So there's just wow. a lot of lot of things that I think, and I wouldn't recommend that, by the way, but yeah. there's just a lot of things just based on necessity that we had to do. Mm-hmm. And right now, so last fall, um, uh, we made a change and I am running sort of innovation, corp dev strategy for navigating cancer. And so, you know, I've always done that. So you're getting just a little more focused. Yeah, I've always done that, but I did that for 10 or 15% of my time. And now what's interesting about our business is um, value-based care is here, right? And so value-based care is doctors. Um, in healthcare, we work in a fee-for-service world. And so doctors get paid for providing services. And now the reimbursement is changing where doctors will get paid based on the quality of care and the cost of care. So it's a really different model. And so because of that, doctors now are incented to do different things. And because of that, they're going to need technology, right? Mm -hmm. It's no longer about people and process. They absolutely need technology. And so we're at this time in the business where we, you know, the market's opening up the competition has fallen away. It's been a really competitive environment for us to get where we're at today. But the competition sort of falling away. We're in this leadership position. And so I'm focused on how do we accelerate the company? How do we move into different growth areas of the company? How do we build strategic partnerships that help accelerate the vision of the company and the growth of the company? Well, that's exciting. And so I want to learn more about healthcare. It's a big, huge subject. Nobody really knows how to tackle. And especially when you're voting or you're making decisions and understanding the role government plays. Um, I would like to learn more. But before we go into that, you talked about fundraising without a CFO. And the statistics around women getting venture funding is like 2% of venture funding goes to women. And so what would you attribute your success to? How many venture funds did you talk to? Because you've raised a total of how much money? As a business, we raised five. We raised two million and then three million, and we got to break even. And then in 2015, we raised 12, and then we got to break even. And now we're raising again um, and um, and closing about $26 million in, in funding in total. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's and you, you're in the room doing the pitch, doing the... Yeah, so I was really the... You know, in a lot of the cases, the only one in the room doing the pitch or flying down to Sand Hill Road or wherever um, to get funding. And so... And were you scared? <laughs> um, I don't know if I was scared. Maybe a little nervous, right? Because I'm doing something I've never done before. And that's uh, that's interesting and challenging. But I, I think, to your point, the statistics, I didn't really understand or know the statistics. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think with anything, when you're building a business, you just got to go do it. And so I just went. Did you get a lot of no's or it sounds like you got Oh, no, pretty... I got a lot of no's. Oh, yeah, I got a lot of no's. I mean, cancer, healthcare, like you just said, healthcare is really complicated. Yeah. And, you know, if I've been in healthcare for 30 years and it's incredibly complicated. And if you know one part of healthcare, you might not understand that other right. part of healthcare. And right. so I did a lot of educating, right? I'd sit with these venture capitalists and try to do a lot of educating. They'd say, cancer's not that big, right? I mean, cancer's one of the biggest markets there is, but there's a small patient population, right? 1.6 million patients get diagnosed every year. It's not 30 million patients, it's 1.6. So they, you know, for them to understand the big opportunity in front of them was, was very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of those. Okay. And so 
I know that when I was introducing you and when we started talking about the business, we talked about the fact that navigating cancer helps lower costs, improve patient satisfaction, and that you're driving better outcomes. How do you measure the outcomes? In healthcare, there's what's called the triple aim, which is it is about really how do you reduce costs, keep quality high, you know, improve outcomes, and how do you create a better experience for patients. And so we've been really focused on that. We're building this software solution. Um, it's very important to us that we create value. And so we needed and worked very hard to measure that value. And so on the patient satisfaction side is we do, you know, surveys with patients continually, always. Every month we're gaining gaining feedback to really understand the patient experience and what they think and if we're improving their experience. Um, we are... Um, we created an education platform where we help educate patients um, about their drugs when they're starting it and kind of these medication adherence programs. And with those medication adherence programs, we've looked at our own data to say, you know, what was the percentage of patients that stayed on therapy um, prior to starting one of these programs? And then after we start the program, we measure at six months to say, are they are they staying on therapy longer? And we've shown every single time that we can help patients stay on therapy longer just by educating them about what to expect, when to call their doctor, when to think about things. Um, and we've given that data to third parties who validated that, that have actually shown that not only are we um, helping patients you know, stay on therapy longer, we're helping them live longer because they're able to stay on their medications, uh, you know, in a longer way. They're mm -hmm. able to manage their side effects. And then on the cost side is we've built a system um, where we are helping um, uh, practices um, provide better, faster care to patients. So the, the sort of old model, which you probably know as you call into a clinic, you know, you call your doctor, you leave a message and they call you back when you can, right? And and you have a problem, you have a side effect, you have a symptom, you have an issue, you call your doctor and they call you back. You know, they might call you back five hours later, they might call you back six hours later, they might call you back the next day. So we've used this software to... Um, uh, and, and a process to create like mini call centers. And so our software, as well as people, you know, sit on the phone using our software. And when a patient calls, they deal with that issue right away. And they use um, pathways, so symptom management pathways, these validated ways in which to take care of patients. And through that, we've been able to show that just through these faster interventions and the use of our software that we can reduce ED visits because and emergency room visits and hospitalizations because we're catching patient issues faster. Mm -hmm. And now we're adding remote monitoring. So we're just with the use of our smartphone, we're asking patients, you know, did you take your medication today? And how are you feeling? And then we're risk stratifying that we've patented this, we're risk stratifying that to a triage nurse that's sitting there. And so they can call the highest risk patients, they can call those patients that are having the, the biggest issues and manage them. So we're giving providers a glimpse into what's a patient experience outside the clinic. You know, what are they experiencing at home? What are their issues so that they can solve those issues right away? And we've been able to prove that we can reduce cost, you know, and, wow. and unnecessary patient burden because... Yeah, I'm still a little bit confused about the business model. Yeah. So how does the company make money? 
So we are a software as a service platform. For doctors. For doctors. So okay. cancer programs across the United States buy our services. And then we provide services also to pharmaceutical manufacturers. So okay. medication adherence programs, we embed their content into our system to help patients stay on therapy longer and to reduce the burden for clinics. You know, clinics get that content um, via paper brochure that... Uh, um, that they may or may not be able to give to a patient. So we just automate that whole process so it happens. Mm -hmm. um, and now we're looking at, you know, we're talking to a lot of payers about how do we build a business model for payers? You know, how do we look at other mm -hmm. revenue models? And that's what I'm, you that's know, That's what you're working on. Yeah. So if I'm a person who um, has a friend who gets diagnosed with cancer, should I be saying, hey, check out Navigating Cancer? And if so, do they need to make sure that their doctor is on Navigating Cancer? Yeah. I mean, we have a consumer service. So if somebody can go in, they can log in, and they can get connected with other cancer patients. They can, you know, sort of manage their care on their own. But there's, you know, when you get diagnosed with cancer, it's pretty overwhelming. You, you depend on your doctor, Mark. It's an overwhelming experience. And so there's a lot of friction with doing it on your own. And so the better way is when everything you know, you log in and everything just appears there and you have that connection to your doctor. So mm -hmm. that's that's how we serve most patients. That was how we create more value mm -hmm. is through the doctor. And today we have um, about 10 percent of cancer patients on our platform, 10 percent of cancer doctors in the U.S. on our platform. Mm -hmm. So we have a huge opportunity to grow. And our competitors are just paper. Like it's just um, blue ocean, meaning that this just doesn't exist in the marketplace today. And we signed It's it. unbelievable that it doesn't exist because yeah. it seems so needed and so obvious. If a patient um, says to their doctor, hey, can you please get on navigating cancer? That's helpful for navigating that, cancer, that right? Is, that is helpful, but it's not a really simple process because the the cancer program has to buy the service. We have to connect to their EMR. We have to get embedded in their workflow. Mm -hmm. We have to train people how to use it. Right. We have it's... to change all their processes. So, and so the salespeople who are selling Navigating Cancer are selling into doctor's offices. And that's a complicated sell. It's yes. not just, hey, yes. you should get on our... Yes. And so we're looking at... So one of the things that I'm looking at is how do we have different entry points to get to patients, right? So we're serving 10% of cancer patients today. You know, how do we serve 100% of cancer patients? Right. How do we become the platform where patients could enter in in any way? They could enter in through their specialty pharmacy. They could enter in through their payer. They could enter in through their their cancer doctor. They could enter in on their own and do more on their own and be able to pull down more information on their own. So we're looking at that because then we can really serve patients in a much broader way. We can serve the healthcare ecosystem in a broader way. We can mm -hmm. make things more efficient. So those are the things that we're, you know, these are, those are the future directions for the company. Right. And so tell me about some of the partnerships. I know that um, you're doing a collaboration with McKesson. And how did that come to be and, and why McKesson? So our biggest competitor over the last couple of years has been EMR vendors. So the electronic health vendors, um, uh, you know, providers want simplicity. They want one system. And so um, EMRs have, you know, we've had to fight this battle of, well, my EMR might do what you're doing. And so... Um, EMR. We, electronic health record or oh, electronic medical okay, sorry. record. I should yeah. know that. Yeah. So the, the digital systems within a practice... Um, so all the paper charts that you used to have when you go yeah. to the doctor, now they use a health. They, now they let, use that 
the paper chart has been um, digitized into yes, an electronic. like my chart. And, yes. Yeah. And so um, those have been our biggest competitors. And so McKesson has an EMR, and they were a competitor. And so over the last three or four years, we've been calling on their customers. And so it was really a grassroots, a grassroots thing as their customers started to ask for services like navigating cancer. And so that's what really brought McKesson to the table. And it's huge validation because it's an EMR vendor. It's a physician services organization because McKesson sort of owns some practices across the United States. Mm -hmm. For them to raise their hand and say, okay, we're not going to create this. We're going to partner with the best company out there. Was that's incredible. Huge, huge validation oh, for yeah. us. And, Congrats. You know, thank you. And, they ha and that gives us the opportunity really to double to, or go two and a half, two and a half times, you yeah. know, to get to 25% or 30% market share. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Well, thank you on behalf of everyone for all you're doing for so many of us who have loved ones who have been diagnosed or who, who we've lost to cancer, including your dad. Yeah. Um, you. So moving on to your more personal life, some women don't even want to be asked about balance because it's like, well, you're not asking the men about balance, but it's a real thing. You're a mom and you've got Two kids? I do. Two They're teenagers. teenagers yes. The 360 thing? Yeah. And so um, how does your kind of Venn diagram of your life work? I mean, are you merging social and business and kids all into one, or are you really compartmentalized? Yeah. Or how I, are you doing all this? I mean, I think that um, the best way to describe it, and I think this is an area that is emerging for me as I'm trying to figure it out, and as my kids become teenagers, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm years away from being an empty nester. You know, it's not that far off. Um, I have been very two-dimensional. You know, I've been very much, you know, very driven from a work perspective. How do I go build a business? And that's been all-consuming. And then I've been, okay, what do I do? You know, how do I take care of my family? How do I be a, a good mother and a wife. Um, and so, you know, how do I get connected to my friendships through my kids, right? And through what they're doing. And um, and so now it's this time of, as I'm thinking about it, is how do I just expand that? What do I want to do? How do I want to think about it? But I've been very two-dimensional, just Pretty deliberate about your time. Yeah. And and I haven't had a lot of time. And that. are you exercising or what's your self-care situation? Because you always look amazing. Um, I'm, you don't look like a woman who's traveling and working her ass off with two kids. Uh, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to, I try to incorporate that in when I can, but I'm not, I don't have a huge ritual either. And um, and I don't do it as much yeah. as I should. Well, because I find traveling is a huge disruptor to any sort of self-care. Yeah. Yeah. I wear an Apple Watch and I try to get my steps in. So oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. So that might That's be, actually good. Yeah. You could do like walking. We could be doing a walking podcast. That would be great. Very efficient. Yes. We could check all the boxes. Exactly. And um, how are you deciding where to spend your time as far as board work? What's NCCN Foundation and how did you choose WTIA as your two boards? Um, so both are sort of healthcare related. Um, so the NCCN is the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. It's the most prestigious cancer programs, academic cancer programs across the United States. And they are the organization that creates the guidelines in which doctors use to treat patients. So they are the body in which payers use to figure out reimbursement and what they're going to pay for. It's the body that helps, you know, it sets the standard of how treatment will happen in the United States and actually in the world across the globe. And so um, I am the chair of the NCCN Foundation, and the foundation is 
dedicated to taking those guidelines, taking those guidelines that doctors use and translating those for patients so that patients have the same information in patient-friendly language that doctors use to determine treatment. Oh, that's great. It's yes. like it's like you're creating bedside manner. Yes. Well, you know, like, hey, here's the situation in layman's terms. Yes. And, you know, cancer is really complicated. It right. changes all the time. Oh, that's great. There's I didn't realize. There's new drugs. And so this, like, these patient guidelines, like every patient should get these guidelines at diagnosis. Yes. They're free. You know, you can buy them if you want a paper copy on Amazon, but you, you know, but they are, they're on the web and every patient yeah. should be. So that's, you know, being in, involved in that is very patient focused, but yeah. I really believe in the product. I really yeah. believe in the company. And so, you know, chairing that foundation and figuring out how we're going to grow and how we're going to get those guidelines into every single patient at diagnosis is something you know, I'm really passionate about. And then the WTIA is I'm on the benefit trust. So this is the kind of for-profit arm of the WTIA that is, is the Washington Washington Technology Industry Alliance. And the benefit trust is the organization that um, supports uh, companies, you know, in Washington. Yeah. We're members. Is, yes. Yeah. That is that where you get your health insurance. So where you get your health insurance, where you get your 401k. And so that, you know, they're building a product to help tech companies um, provide benefits for, you know, employers across the state mm -hmm. and looking at how do they um, take that platform and move to other states. So it's a pretty exciting time for the WTIA and what they're doing there as well. Yeah, it is exciting. Um, you're one of the baller women and you're so humble and kind of under the radar, which I love. So I'm happy that you're on the podcast because I feel like it's like your debutante ball. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Everyone needs to know who Gina Cook is. Um, and I'm really excited to watch what you do in your life in general, but with navigating cancer specifically, um, Thank you. It's just an awesome company. Um, my final question for you is what fuels you? In my career for 30 years, I'm sort of middle-aged at this point, which is kind of scary to say. Um, what fuels me, me is just, you know, I feel like I'm in a lot of ways I'm just starting. I'm just getting started. And so what fuels me is I'm a problem solver. I love to solve hard problems. I love to innovate. I love to make connections. And, and, uh, and so you know, continuing to figure out the best ways to use my sort of time and talents to do that um, and continuing to learn. Like I just, I feel like I know, you know, I've learned a lot. I've learned how to build a business, right? And so what do I do with that? What do I, what's the next step with that? How do I help other women that are starting businesses yeah. or other well, people? Well, you could be a mentor. I just read about yeah. a tech company that's like linking mentors with mentees. I think it's Seattle-based, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, how incredible to find someone like you. Have you ever had a mentor yourself? I've had a lot of informal mentors, informal but mentors. Not, not formal mentors. Yeah. But I am really passionate about just helping people solve, you know, move, learn from the challenges and mistakes. Well, that's amazing. And a lot. Of, hopefully a lot of women are listening to this because I'm sure they, well, all people would be very inspired. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. 
Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. 